The reading is from Luke chapter 16, verses 1 to 15, and this can be found on page 1049 in the Red Bibles. We have Bibles in other languages and versions available at the back, and the page number for those are on the screen. So Luke chapter 16, starting at verse 1. Jesus told his disciples, There was a rich man whose manager was accused of wasting his possessions. So he called him in and asked him, What is this I hear about you? Give an account of your management, because you cannot be manager any longer. The manager said to himself, What shall I do now? My master is taking away my job. I'm not strong enough to dig, and I'm ashamed to beg. I know what I'll do so that when I lose my job here, people will welcome me into their houses. So he called in each of his master's debtors. He asked the first, How much do you owe my master? Three thousand litres of olive oil, he replied. The manager told him, Take your bill, sit down quickly, and make it fifteen hundred. Then he asked the second, And how much do you owe? Thirty tons of wheat, he replied. He told him, Take your bill and make it twenty-four. The master commended the dishonest manager, because he had acted shrewdly. For the people of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own kind than are the people of the light. I tell you, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourselves, so that when it is gone, you will be welcomed into eternal dwellings. Whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much, and whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. So if you have not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? And if you have not been trustworthy with someone else's property, who will give you property of your own? No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. The Pharisees, who loved money, heard all this and were sneering at Jesus. He said to them, You are the ones who justify yourselves in the sight of others, but God knows your hearts. What people value highly is detestable in God's sight. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Ali, thank Ali, thank you for reading. Um, keep that passage open. Uh, good morning, everyone. I'm James. If I've not met you before, I'm one of the curates here. I'm going to spend a few minutes uh, looking at that passage together. So why don't we pray um, as we come to it? Heavenly Father, thank you for your words. And as we look at it this morning, may it encourage us and challenge us to live for Jesus. Amen. Well, let me take you back to October the 28th, 1949. There, picture the scene. There's a 22-year-old man uh, sitting at his desk uh, in the U.S. meditating on Scripture and making notes in his journal. It's a regular habit for this guy. He's uh, just completed his studies at Wheaton College. Uh, he's turning his attention to a call that he feels he has to mission in Latin America. Uh, he's studied Spanish to help. He's preached um, on the streets in Portland, Oregon, uh, in preparation. And as he sits down on this particular day at his desk, he has in front of him 
the words of Luke 16. And as he ponders, he writes these words in his journal. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot use. Now, now what this guy didn't realise is how true those words would become for him. Actually, words that are famous, as some of you may know already who this person is just from those words. Because in just over six years' time, this guy would have left the USA. He would have gone to Ecuador with the uh, aim of speaking to an unreached people group. And he'd been killed by them. He gave up his life, something he couldn't keep, for an eternal life he couldn't lose. The man, if you didn't know, is Jim Elliott. He was one of five uh, missionaries who went to Ecuador uh, and were martyred there, trying to evangelize this uh, unreached tribe. Um, His wife, Elizabeth, uh, has written a, a very good biography uh, on his life if you want to read more about him. But it's not really surprising that someone like Jim Elliot, who ponders hard this passage, becomes like the shrewd ma- manager uh, in Jesus' parable. See, as we come to look at this parable, it's a, it's a, it's a great parable for us to be considering. As we look, we're, we're in a series, um, as Richard said earlier, on Jesus and money. Um, And as disciples of Jesus, we want to hear what he has to say uh, about money, especially as you look at verse 1. This is uh, something that Jesus told his disciples, told those who are following him. Now, just before um, I get fully into what this passage has to say, let's just, uh, a reminder of why we're looking uh, at Jesus and money during the summer series. Uh, Three quick things. Um, I think summer is often a time where we take stock, things slow down slightly, uh, and so we review things. Uh, We've been already planning our holidays for next year. How organized is that? Um, But we do, we we stop and we we review things. Uh, And I hope part of that reviewing and planning will include thinking about how we use our money. Secondly, it's also a good time, I think, for us to be thinking about uh, how we use our money because at Platt we've got no particular giving need at the moment. We're not doing this because we're desperate for uh, to um, repair something or build something new. Actually, it's a good time to have a considered approach to how we uh, use our money. Uh, and thirdly, and probably more, most importantly, Jesus talks a lot about money. Uh, and if he talks a lot about money, then we probably want to listen. Often it's said that the last part of a person to be converted is their wallet. Uh, so it's important that when Jesus talks lots about it, how we use our money and possessions, that we listen. And can I also say that this is a series? So I'm not going to be able to say everything there is to say today on money. If you've missed some of the sermons, perhaps go back and have a listen. To get, you'll get a fuller picture then of, uh, of how we approach, prayerfully approach, Um, our use of our possessions. But if, uh, as we come to this passage with that in mind, we'll want to see what Jesus has to say. And and if you're not a Christian here today, you are very welcome. We love um, having you here. And can I say to you, listen as we go through. This is something that Jesus is saying to his followers. 
But listen as we go through, because I think you'll hear how there's nothing that's worth giving up uh, eternity for in this world. So let's have uh, Luke chapter 16 open in front of us. It's page 1049, if you've closed your Bibles. And let's hear what Jesus has to say uh, to those who are following him, those who know that he's given his life for them. Uh, Now, this isn't a straightforward parable. Um, I don't know if it confused you as it did me the first time reading it, and there's uh, much ink has been uh, spilt over various aspects of this. But you're really pleased to know we're not going to go into all those complexities today. You can go and read 101 commentaries um, if you really want to. We're going to boil it down to one very simple point, which I think is what Jesus wants us to grasp, and it's this. Use what you can't keep to gain what you can't lose. Use what you can't keep to gain what you can't lose. That's what Jim Elliot did, as we, uh, as we saw, and it's what this manager does in Jesus' parable. Have a look at verse 1. Jesus told his disciples, there was a rich man whose manager was accused of wasting his possessions. So he called him in and asked him, what is this I hear about you? Give an account of your management because you cannot be manager any longer. So here we have this story that Jesus tells us, this rich man. Now, he's earned the big bucks, so he employs someone to manage his estate for him. You know, it's a bit like Bill Gates employing a financial uh, manager. It's a big responsibility. There's a lot of money involved. Uh, and he's got a remit to manage all this guy's uh, money, his estate, his possessions, and maximize the investments he can get from it. However, this manager... Jesus says, hasn't been very good at his job. He's been wasting his possessions, verse 1. Maybe he's been squandering it on the high-risk, low-return investments. Maybe he hadn't been getting the most uh, from what the, the rich man was selling, understanding it. Whatever he'd been doing, he wasn't good enough at his job. So the, the, manage, so the rich man takes the manager through his discipline procedure uh, and places him under the risk of being sacked. Now suddenly the manager realises he's about to lose this wealth that he's been looking after. Of course, he'd be making a, a, a nice bit on the sides. You know, it's usual to put a bit of commission uh, on top of uh, looking after this man's wealth. And he's enjoying his lavish, luxurious lifestyle, this importance he has got. And suddenly it's coming to an end. And he's not going to downgrade himself to digging or begging, as verse 3 tells us. And so with this sudden panic, the manager has an idea. Look at verse 4. I know what I'll do so that when I lose my job here, people will welcome me into their house. He thinks of a way of making friends. It's kind of... I wonder if today he would have gone on LinkedIn and bulked up his LinkedIn connections. Uh, to try and make himself look better. But anyway, whatever it was, he wants friends, people who will care for him uh, once he loses this job. Uh, Bear in mind, he would have been living probably in accommodation provided by this rich man. So he's not just uh, losing the wealth, he's probably losing his house and everything that he has. But he knows how to get these friends. See, off he goes uh, to meet the rich man's debtors. 
Now they probably see him coming a little way off and think, yeah, I know how this is going to go. Here he comes, going to demand the money again. Ramp up the interest when I can't pay. Now this works. But to their surprise, that's not what the manager does. Have a look at verse 5. So he called in each one of his master's debtors. He asked the first, how much do you owe my master? 3,000 litres of oil, he replied. The manager told him, take your bill, sit down quickly and make it 1,500. Now, can you see what he's doing? While he still has influence over this rich man's wealth, he's using it to win friends. He's using what he can't keep, money, to gain what he can't lose, friendship. And the master, even more surprisingly, commends him for it. Verse 8, the master commended the dishonest manager because he had acted shrewdly. Now it's important here to be really clear on what uh, the um, rich man uh, is commending the manager for. Now he's not commending him for uh, being dishonest. Uh, dishonest is uh, a description of who the manager is, not what's commended. You've got to remember this is Jesus speaking. Jesus who is very clear elsewhere of the problems of dishonesty. That's not what's being commended. He's being commended for his shrewdness. His, his sharp, astute powers of judgment to use what he has to gain something better. And that's really important when we see who the people are or who they represent in this story. You see, the rich man is God. We're the manager. And God is not prompting us to be dishonest. He's commending us to be shrewd with our worldly possessions. Now, now think about it. The whole world belongs to God. And that includes money, our house, uh, everything that we own. It is ultimately belongs to God. And he's given them to us to manage for a short amount of time. And he's given them to manage in a way that serves him and eternity. Look at verse 11. I tell you, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourself. So that when it is gone, you will be welcomed into eternal dwellings. So here's the sting of the parable for us. Use what you can't keep, your worldly wealth, to gain what you can't lose. Friends who will welcome you into heaven. Use what you can't keep, your worldly wealth, to gain what you can't lose. Friends who welcome you to heaven. Let me give you three examples um, to illustrate how I think um, this might work. Um, the first is money and mission. Now, let me just say from the outset, all of us will have different amounts uh, of money in our bank accounts. Uh, and It's not about how much you have. Um, to put it bluntly, when you die you don't take your money with you. 
It's inherited by someone else after HMRC have taken their cut, of course. Um, But you can't take it with you. It's something you are going to lose. Now, let's say as part of your stewardship of the money that God has given you to manage for this time, you give £10 a month to a mission agency. You don't know who you're supporting. Um, There's a a map that I took from one mission agency's uh, website. You don't know who you're supporting, but you know it's going to people who are telling others about Jesus. Now, you give that money for several years. And then when you die, imagine arriving in heaven. And as you arrive in heaven, you're welcomed by people you've never met, but have been converted by the money you've given. People from other nations, people from around the world come up to you and say, thank you for giving that £10 a month. I'm here because of that money. People welcoming you into eternal dwellings. It's something you can't lose. Or what about another example? Uh, you're using your home and for hospitality. You can't take your home with you uh, either when you, when you die. It's something you can't keep. But imagine you use your home now to welcome an international student or, or a family, someone who's feeling themselves far away from home. You welcome them in. You spend time with them. You eat together. You, they become part of your family You've seen them at church, you check um, that they're okay. Then after a year or two, they go back to their own country. Now imagine them arriving in heaven again. Being welcomed not only by this person who you've known for a couple of years, who's become your friend, but also all those who've been converted as they go back to their country, running up to you and welcoming you. That's something you can't lose. Or a third example, something we can all do. It's the time of year where lots of people arrive in Manchester to study or to, to start new jobs, and many of them will make their way uh, through this church, uh, through the doors of this church. Um, I know I've already met several over the last couple of weeks who have just uh, have just arrived. Now, let's say we give some of our time and energy, which is something we can't keep, to welcome these people. Help them to feel part of the the church family rather than just chatting only with your friends after uh, the service. Chatting to someone new and bringing them into your friendship uh, group. Uh, Making a friend that will last. And then imagine arriving in heaven. That new person running up to you, grabbing you, giving you a huge hug, saying thank you. I didn't know if I'd set in a church in Manchester. I didn't know if I'd keep going. But because of your welcome, I did. I kept following Jesus, and now I'm here. Using something you can't lose, so you can't keep, to gain something you can't lose. Now, I'm sure as you sit there, plenty of other other examples are running through your mind of of how uh, this might work. And it'll be different to all, all of us. We've all been given a different amount by God to manage. But we can all do something. And where, therefore, we can all be like the shrewd manager. Not in dishonesty, but in shrewdness. It'll be worth thinking um, as you go home today, what's that going to look like for me? What am I going to 
use that I can't keep to gain what I can't lose. But before we leave that passage, let's not miss an extra challenge that Luke adds to the end using Jesus' words from verses 10 onwards. It's still under this main point, but he adds a question that I think really points um, uh, and challenges us um, as we think this through. Who are you serving? Look at verse 10. Whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. And whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. So if you have not been trustworthy in handling worldly riches, he will trust you with true riches. And if you've not been trustworthy with someone else's property, he will give you property of your own. Now Jesus here seems to be making a link between how we use worldly wealth uh, and uh, our money and our possessions and our time we have now and eternity. Uh, and how we use the little we've been given now uh, demonstrates how we will use or be given true everlasting riches to come. Uh, it's a sign of our discipleship ultimately, isn't it? Our faith is shown now in how we use what God has given us. And so Jesus seems to be saying, if we use money rightly now, then we'll be given riches in eternity to use for, for God, for his praise and glory. And of course, vice versa is true. If we don't use what we've been given well now, then how much will be given in eternity? And then that leads to these famous words of verse 13. Uh, it's also in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew's Gospel. Um, it shows that our discipleship has got to be wholehearted. Look at verse 13. No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. It makes sense, doesn't it? If I have two jobs and both my employees, sorry, employers ask me to work on Wednesday, I can't do both. I'm going to choose the job that I like doing um, and go and do that and uh, say no to the boss of the work I don't like doing. We can't serve two things. And, and can I just say what serving money is not about? It's not about how much money you have. It's not about how much money you give away. It's not how, about how much money you gain. And it's not about buying salvation. That's what the Pharisees in verses 14 and 15 were trying to do. Uh, you know, as Christians, we know our eternity is absolutely secured by Jesus. It's not earned. It's given by grace. It's not about those things. Jesus is saying it's about our attitude towards money in response to the salvation that we've been given through Jesus. It's our serving of God. So people with no money or even debt can serve money as much as the millionaire who's trying to become a billionaire. It's not how much you have. When money becomes our focus, our primary focus of our thoughts, our actions, our number one priority, that's when we've become serving it. And Jesus says that's incompatible we're serving God. Because to serve God, he's number one priority. We can only have 
one number one priority. And therefore, if we're honest, we end up in this tug of war, don't we, of our life between God and money. There's only going to be one winner. But the good news uh, of this parable, what Jesus is saying, is we get to choose who the winner is. And if we think about it, there's only logically one winner. Money is just a resource. God is the source of all things. Money is just for now. God is eternal. Money feels like security, but can disappear in an instance. God offers security that lasts forever. Money seems to bring wealth in this world. But God offers us riches beyond anything, beyond any measure that this world can offer. Logically, of course, there is only one winner. We know it. And yet I know how often my mind is occupied by money. Will I have enough for the future? When's that pay rise coming? How can I pay off that debt? Now, of course, there's wise planning the future. Jesus isn't telling us to be frivolous. But he is getting us to think about how we view and use our money. It's something we can't keep. So will we use it for something we can't lose? How do we use our money? Is it your master? Are you serving it? Or are you using it to serve God? I know many people here do. Using it for world mission, for hospitality, uh, for eternal friendships. And as we do that, see the good news. We are doing something that gains riches for eternity. And remember, God hasn't withheld any of those riches from you. He he sent his one and only son uh, to die, to rise again, so that he could share his riches with you. To give you an ending riches of his grace as he's prepared those eternal dwellings for you. See, God knows how to gain something he cannot lose because he's gained you. And so while we're here on earth and we are given this small subset of his riches uh, to manage, only temporary, we know that the job is only temporary because we know one day we are all going to die. How are we going to use them? Will we use what we can't keep to gain what we can't lose? Shall we pray? Heavenly Father, we thank you that in Jesus you have shared with us immeasurable riches of your grace. Lord, they are guaranteed for us in the eternal dwellings that Jesus won for us. Uh, And while we wait to go to that place, well, thank you that you have given us things to manage here on earth. And Lord, we pray we would do so shrewdly, using what we can't keep, to gain what we can't lose. Amen.